Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. This week in movies, we have a lot of stuff in store. Uh, we have a duo of teacher films, starting off with The Holdovers, that I think we both are really hoping is going to get a lot of awards love, uh, especially come the Oscars. We have Radical, that won the big Sundance Audience Award at the beginning of the year and had people crying at my screening, like we were like on a next wave of COVID. Uh, there's also Fingernails from Apple TV+. Plus. I was asking if you would give yours to find out who your true love is after you get close enough for your true love to also give their fingernail. <laughs> uh, you also had Quiz Lady, which interestingly enough is now considered the true fake story, whereas Nyad is considered the fake true story. We have a go. lot of movies in store today. I'm your co-host, Arturo Surita. Joining me as always is my other co-host, Zachary Shevich. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be back talking movies. Uh, anything big in your movie life? Any any big changes? I did. You know, I had to add something else to the collection because, you know, as if there isn't already enough posters all around this place. Mm -hmm. But uh, after going to the theater to go uh, catch the holdovers in Radical, um, uh, on my second viewing, I was walking out of the theater and I noticed that they were tossing some stuff away Ooh. And, and tossing certain things away. Right you know, place, right time. There's no reason to have things go to waste when you can have a major motion picture poster board right there at your convenience to add to the set. Oh, but, lucky, man. But, you know, I can't take only one for me when I can get oh, one for my boy. baby. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. A couple fell from the truck, my man. So, of course, <laughs> for the holdovers, uh, one of the better movies of the year. Zach has been hyping this bad boy up ever since he saw it out of Toronto. Yeah. Uh, so the moment that I caught it, I was like, oh, that looks kind of nice right there. Let me see. You know, they just throw these things away, bro. They don't care. They'll be right? throwing popcorn. They'll be throwing hot dogs. They'll be throwing everything. They'll be throwing some of these screenings away. No one's in there watching these movies. So, of course, got you, MD. Thank you so much. You know, obviously, the movie theaters just don't keep movie sickos like us in mind when they, they throw these valuable pieces of memorabilia away i'm i'm always like tempted to go up to find some manager and be like are you doing anything with that poster in two you know weeks the, you know the worst part and i can't even remember what the poster was but it was a pretty big movie at a local theater mm -hmm. that we had and that thing like flew away and and the guy who was running it you could just tell that nobody liked him but i went up to him and i told him like yo just so you know the the whatever they would be called not the marquee but where they hold the posters i was like that thing's wide open the, the poster flew away and i brought it in he goes oh yeah we're changing those out and i'm holding it and i'm like well, can i keep it no and he grabbed it, and he took it to the back just to throw it in the trash. And I think of that movie that we covered off of the film festivals, Pictures of Ghosts. He's got that one scene where he mentioned that they were going to burn all the posters, and he went in and was getting, like, the craziest copies of it. So, mm -hmm. hey, I got you right here, bro. Holdovers, one of the best movies. Um, I don't know how. <laughs> I was, like, thinking about the logistics of, like, taking it to Sundance for you to take it on the plane back. Hey, we'll sometimes it, it takes out. us months, right? But we ended up getting the South by posters to Amanda. <laughs> exactly. It works out in some way. The important part is getting it. You know, the important yes. part is just securing it. But uh, yeah, had to for one of the best movies. Um, uh, one of the best movies of the year, one of the best performances for sure. Now that I've caught yeah. it, Zach caught it earlier. But before we get into that, what about you? Any posters that fell off the truck? <laughs> <laughs> no uh, miraculous new additions to my memorabilia uh, this week, unfortunately. Well, kind of, kind of. 
yeah yeah not not personally just uh via surrogate or whatever but uh I, the thing i did add to my collection was an updated library card it's been a little while since i went to my okay. local library and i i refreshed it and man uh you sometimes you forget and then you reacquaint yourself with all the things that are free and available to us through through public funding it's it's pretty the nice to good. yeah i mean between not just like the uh not just like the books that obviously you can check out from your local library or whatever, but it, it's also the access to all the different uh, services that they've uh, added in order to keep up with modern times. Like uh, we, we frequently shout out Hoopla or Canopy where you can stream lots of movies. Uh, part of the reason why I reactivated my library card is to, to rewatch the Roger Ebert documentary, which is currently on Hoopla. Uh, yeah. Life so, itself. Yeah, life itself exactly. So rather than spending the four dollars to rent it on Amazon or Apple or whatever, oh, yeah. my local library is going to give me some access for free. Also, Beautiful. you and I, we like to do our research and sometimes read or listen to audiobooks of stuff like Killers of the Flower Moon, or I'm working my way through Poor Things with uh, that film coming up. Uh, they have their own uh, audiobook service where you can rent audiobooks. So rather yeah. than paying Audible obscene amounts per month, uh, you can get the audiobook again for free so man it, it's nice to have the library system i feel like people just always overlook and forget about them yeah dude uh, but when i wasn't in the city and i was back home because i have mm -hmm. not gotten my city one i've never really gotten there but i even went there and like half the stuff is like missing you end up having to do hoopla anyway but yeah. back home i would like ask for a movie and they'd get the Criterion version there. I'm like, oh, baby, yeah. I'm home. And then no one's renting them, you know? That's the The kids thing. were just getting the PS4 games. But I'd be like, yo, can I get this, like, crazy movie foreign film? And they'd order it, and it'd be there. And it's like, in my backyard, I would just go rent exactly. it. Please take advantage of it. It's something we've yeah. always talked about. And Hoopla, dude. People I like... Was, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Zone of go. Interest being on there? Oh, right. Like, yeah, it's so easy. Exactly. And people like us often lament the death of the rental store, blockbusters and stuff like so that, there. or the, the family store. The library might even be better because they can, if there's something they're missing, they can request it from a different library. You yes, got sir. it. Hopefully within a couple that of too. weeks. Yeah. It's like a yeah. connection of libraries that all work in tandem. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we do not uh, give it enough credit, but you, you get to catch a lot of good things there. And if it wasn't for the library, I wouldn't have gotten a lot of my film education when it came to a lot of the movies uh, international cinema a lot of old uh, older films and and the such and especially with the audiobooks i think that's been a, a been a, a really big help uh right now alina's going through all of the books for the hunger games so she's reading them and then i'm listening to the audiobook <laughs> so she's trying to keep up with my two nice. times speed of the audiobook in that way <laughs> but no it, it's it's perfect and like we said it's free you know yeah can't be free yeah um, but let's get into some of the movies of let's this week because we have a pretty good stack of movies. You know, we're entering November. I, I think it's going to be nothing but hits. I'm looking at my calendar, even the ones that I'm not too excited for still look pretty interesting. And especially towards like that, that Thanksgiving era, there is too many films coming out back to back to back. Dude, I had like five movies. I'm just going to name them right here. Uh, I was like, dang, they're going to be releasing that new Trolls movie, the new Somper movie, Next Go Wins, Thanksgiving, May, December. How did I have Hunger Games as the seventh movie? <laughs> Yeah, this is the time of year where it really starts to get busy for us, which is oh. so crazy because it feels like there's, you know, maybe a couple months there from August, September, maybe even into October where you're really just reaching for stuff, yeah. scraping the bottom of that bat barrel. The weekend uh, must watch anything else but movies. <laughs> but yeah, there's actually Not some anymore. good stuff. No, yeah. we, we, we got a couple of good releases this week, so let's get into them, starting off with what uh, Zach Karsten... Uh, 
Amanda. Jeff. Caitlin saw it too, right? Jeff. Yeah, Caitlin liked it a lot. The holdovers. Everyone was telling me, yo, this is the movie you need to catch out of Toronto. Uh, I don't know if it played New York, but it might as well have nope. kind of with the 10 drug so screenings that they had. Yeah. Dude, break down the holdovers for me again. I finally had the chance to watch it, and it is a standout. Yeah, so The Holdovers, the latest movie from Alexander Payne, which uh, features a group of students uh, who attend a New England boarding school but are unable to go back to their families over the holidays, and thus they are held over. They are the holdovers who are forced to live on campus over the holiday break with their curmudgeonly professor, played by Paul Giamatti, who's doing uh, you know, his best grumpy old man, uh, kind of really perfectly suited for a role like that uh and it's you know about the time they spend together over the holidays including with the school's head lunch lady mary played by divine joy randolph another great actor um and you know ultimately it becomes this story of these outcasts coming together uh played by giamatti randolph and the newcomer dominic sessa uh who is the one who is prominently featured in the trailers if you've seen it uh who is also a newcomer, interestingly enough. He was yeah. a student at one of the boarding schools that they filmed at. And uh, while doing their, you know, prep for the project, they ended up auditioning him and casting him in the role. So it's got great performances all around. I, I, it's so nice to see Paul Giamatti in particular back in this type of mode. I was really sick of seeing my guy play Benjamin Franklin in Verizon commercials when he's like probably one of the great American character actors. Uh, he's so perfectly suited to a role like this. Obviously, he's had a lot of collaborations with Alexander Payne in the past and stuff like Sideways. Uh, but to me, it was really J- Divine Joy Randolph, who's the the beating heart of the film. It, you know, it's a, a movie that's very funny, but it's also got this real uh, warmth to it. And a lot of that, I yeah. think, is through her performance, her just sort of like uh, <laughs> her passive acceptance of the sort of inanity she has to deal with as as people around her sort of act immaturely she sort of takes everything in stride and remains level-headed uh and just able to add some rational words of wisdom i really really loved her here i really love this movie it's just a a pleasant joy uh joyful holiday type film uh but yeah i've already said all that i'm curious and i think we're going to get into this more uh in a in a longer review of holdovers later but what did you think about the movie one i don't mean to disappoint you zach but is it bad that when i do see the the great actor the great american yes. actor paul giamatti um i see him covered in blue and big fat <laughs> even then it's still like using his talents he's he's, he's Honestly, a truly. really great foil yeah uh-huh if you really look in there uh with frankie muniz as his co-star I think you get a lot of his great yeah. performances there. No, Comedian, I, yeah, I, icon Amanda Bynes. Look, it's a standout in, in the sense that I know this was a movie that was really trying to replicate the 70s. And that commercial, the, the trailer for it, I think, really gets you in the zone of that. I think yeah. the movie itself, um, it doesn't make it that much of a distraction. I think a lot of the audio techniques were really amped up for the trailer compared. Because I, I ended up watching it in the same uh, theater that I also was watching the trailer in a lot. And I think the audio isn't as uh, in your face. I, I, it reminded me a lot of the Skinamarink trailer where it's a lot scarier and the atmosphere is like amped up a lot. And then when you watch the movie, it's more subdued. Um, yeah. But I think that's a good thing because I think it may have been a little distracting for people. Like listening to that echo of what would have, you know. Been it's it got imitating. that kind of like tinny sort of sound that a lot of films from maybe the 70s, 70s or 80s. Yeah. Have. Yeah. 
Um, but no, yeah, like you said, the performance is all around. I think Paul Giamatti is a standout for this. He had mentioned that he was going to uh, have Paul in it regardless, and that's why the guy's name is Paul in the movie. Divine Joan Randolph, she's the heart of the film. Without her, mm. like, I, dude, the first little bit of the movie, I, it wasn't bad. I was just like, I don't care for these kids as much. Mm -hmm. They're a little snooty. They, I was like, is this just going to be them going through the motions of it? And, oh, they don't want to be there at school. Obviously, you end up developing with them. But it's her character that really puts you in there. Just the, the the double entendre of the title being not just them being held over, but how they're all kind of held over from different aspects of their life that they just can't move past from. I thought right. it was really good. Dominic was good. Yeah. But, but I'm sorry he was surrounded by juggernauts for a first-timer. Yeah, <laughs> there I some mean. scenes. <laughs> he came off like a spoiled brat, but I guess that was kind of the point, right? Yeah, look, he fits the role really well. I, yeah. I think there's some people who they see a performance like this and they react like we found our next great young American actor. And it's like, yeah. I'm not sure this guy is going to be Timothy Chalamet or something, nah. but he's very good in this role. He's you know, what I, it needs to be. He, he is a fresh out of high school, kind of like bratty teenager. And he plays a, you know, graduating kind of guy, fresh mm -hmm. out of high school, bratty teenager. I don't know. It, it just, it's not necessarily something that I, I think he had to stretch much for. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's very good in it. Yeah. Uh, no, overall, I would re recommend that that, that uh, second half of the movie was so strong, dude. This is a movie yeah. that progressively gets better as you watch it. Um, it's definitely a standout. And I like how uh, Josh is saying in the chat, shout out the chat, uh, that it's a very cozy film. That is definitely, this is that movie that as soon as you finish watching it, right now that we're in November, December, you just like love walking out into the snow. Like this is my favorite time of movie season. It's just, yeah, it's fantastic. Highly recommend The Holdovers. Josh also asked if we think this is Alexander Payne's best film or mm. at least your favorite. I already answered this question uh, back in our TIFF coverage. I still prefer both Election and Citizen Ruth, a couple of his early comedies, to this oh, one. I gotta watch, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, uh, it's certainly up there. I'd put it on the same level as Sideways. Personally, I like this one a little more than Sideways just because maybe I, I connect more with the characters here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to rewatch these two election and sideways. Like I feel these were two that if I did see them, it was so long ago. I, I can right. count them in my like modern age of, uh, having seen movies. I, I do think it's better than Nebraska. Anything is better than downside. The trailer was better than downsizing. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of descendant. So, Neither. um, yeah, uh, I would say it's definitely at the top ones, top three for sure. And then after I watch these, I'll be able to tell you where they would, uh, where they would fall in line. But uh, I was asking Zach about his like older movies because yeah. I did not realize. Oh, this man made Inside Out. Inside the the different Inside Out. There's Inside <laughs> Out, Inside Out Two, and Inside Out Three that this man was directing, uh, starring off. Yeah. In, I was gonna call them erotica, but right here they say they're, they're softcore anthology films. We can say they're more uh, anatomically focused movies. Yeah. So the next time someone tells you that your little short film, you know, you started off in the rubble, how are you gonna make it up the ranks? I mean, look at Alexander Payne. No one bats an eye when a new movie comes out from him. Uh, he really turned his career inside out. So, yeah, shout out to him. Holdover is definitely one of the, the best ones, especially very late uh, in his career. This is a dude who, like, takes forever to release a movie, which I, I was, like, looking at that. It's been a little this while. Man, this man will drag, like, ten years. That that stretch between Nebraska, he was just making, like, short films or commercials. Like, good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to Holdover. It's a very good movie out in theaters right now. I would highly recommend it. Uh, another one that came out of the Sundance Film Festival, also about a teacher struggling with their kids. But here it's more so the teacher trying to shape the kids as much as it was the 
the, the student changing the teacher. Uh, Radical, it is based off of a true story. There's a whole article about it. Um, I haven't caught that yet. Uh, but I am working on a video for this and Holdovers kind of combined. And uh, this is a movie that comes from Mexico. It's from Eugenio's own production company. It's about this teacher who decides to go teach in Juarez after an incident that they don't really get too much into. I'm curious if the article does. Uh, where all of these students, like, they are going to class and there are gunshots outside of their building you know they get into school and if you're late you won't be let in because they will bar the doors when people go home from school they're seeing bodies on the floor and it's like yeah. freedom writers in mexico which just like right. amps it up in, just a little bit more in the heart of like cartel land literally particularly yeah um i i, I enjoyed the movie uh it yeah. is definitely a, a standard movie when it comes to like we were mentioning um Freedom Writers, uh, there's a movie that What's-His-Name just came out with, Critical Thinking or Critical Role. Uh, oh, What's-His-Name? I'm blanking on him. Uh, I can't remember, but it's like yeah, Critical Role. Sure. It, it was pretty much they were they were going through statistics. Uh, the Teacher from Argentina just came out not too long ago, another similar movie of this type. Uh, but what I really liked about this one is the energy that he brings to the performance, specifically because he's a teacher who's helping elementary school kids not even learn, just to care. <laughs> like a bunch of these students just do not think that they're gonna make it to like the next day, much less the next year when it comes to their education because they're either gonna have to stay home to take care of siblings that they didn't know they were gonna have. Some of them are already, uh, <laughs> like they're already in a gang that they didn't even realize the initiation already happened. And he brings in this, this type of very uh, bombastic character who wants to make it fun, who just wants to have that curiosity in them. And I, I've told you multiple times, I, I think that we're in this era of like nobody learns anything unless they're dunking on another person. And this is a movie that that's showing learning up on screen and that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to like have that trial and error to be able to come up with a conclusion that you can come up with yourself. Um, a lot of the people in my theater were crying. Uh, I took my mom to go see this one and she was very <laughs> cold hearted. She was just like, it wasn't the saddest movie. They're hyping it up too much. It is obviously being hyped up, I think a little too much. Um, with it winning the audience award winner at Sundance and with it getting a troll out right now. Yeah. But I don't think it takes away from it being a very heartwarming yeah. story, especially because it's a true one. And I would recommend that as a junior price, but definitely when it's a rental is where I would say catch it because um, I, it really got me, especially towards some of the, the ending shots and moments that you get with the characters at the, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, look, like some of the inside baseball when it comes to these film festivals and the movies that win the audience award prizes is that they are not awarding the most challenging or upsetting films audience awards you know zone of interest killers of the flower moon movies that are are very like downtrodden or leave you with an unhappy ending uncut gems and stuff like that those aren't the movies that are winning uh audience awards it's it's films that you know kind of leave you with a smile or leave you kind of feeling lifted and even if they are addressing real things as we've seen like toronto uh gave like jojo rabbit the audience award once upon a time or American fiction got it this year too. They can address real things, but they kind of do it in a way that Wrapped makes it very palatable. Yeah. And, and like, that's, that, that's what you get here. Like it does. It's a film that is very much like aware of uh, real issues and addressing them, but it's ultimately like packaged in a way that makes Eugenio Derbez really charming and is a good showcase for his talents, both comedically and dramatic. And <laughs> it plays, it plays into yeah. like, the the a very satisfying film arc the stand and deliver type of movie so it, 
it, I think as long as you kind of know what you're going in for, you're going to be uh, satisfied with it. Yeah, no, right here. Hit it on the dive. It, it's Coda. Like, this is a perfect Apple movie. This isn't even picked up by Apple yet, and I'm already assuming it's an Apple movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, again, another one where it's like, yeah, we enjoyed it. We liked it. Everything that's in there. Um, <laughs> bro, there's a point towards the end of the movie, right? I, I loved how he was teaching these kids. And then they're like, you know, we got to do standardized testing. <laughs> like, those kids, every single one failed. I could. I just. We just came out laughing. We're like, none of those kids learned anything that they needed to right. from the syllabus. But there are there are really heartwarming uh, moments in this. Uh, some very heavy hitting moments as well. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see more people's thoughts on this. I don't know where it ended up in the box office because Eugenio is like one of the very few international stars, especially coming out of Mexico, where like the instructions not included. I remember when we went to go catch that movie, and I made a little review, and my view started popping off. I'm like, what's going on? It had broke the top five of the box office, and like nobody saw that coming. He then did it again with like Overboard. He had done it with a couple of other movies. Um, I don't know where this is falling in the top 10. I didn't get to check the box office earlier, but um, for the screenings that I went to, they were pretty sold out, so I can I can see that a lot of people have been gravitating towards the movie, hence why it won the audience one over at Sundance. But still a pretty decent movie between the two teaching ones that are out yeah. this week. I think theater. it ended up in fifth at the box office, which is Dang. like honestly not that bad best considering like... Top half. I, yeah, it, it wasn't like a huge release. Wow. You didn't get a lot of like commercials or anything like that just sort of taking a quick look over at box office mojo it was only in 419 theaters compared to the 3700 that Fred five nights at freddy's was at so that's that's pretty respectable for for that's a movie cool, like this one uh that's 2.7 million first weekend we got to get you in the show bro <laughs> especially like uh we're not going to talk about this but there's the meg ryan romantic comedy yeah. that came out this weekend what happens later i didn't get mm -hmm. a chance to catch it i don't think you did either uh that one opened in more than three times as many theaters and made 1.2 million less nobody wanted to know what happened later i guess at that <laughs> point uh but yeah no i'm telling you I, I know this guy he just knows numbers and he knows his audience i think that's yeah. the big thing he knows uh what to give them so hey shout out eugenio um, moving into streaming, though, this was a movie that kind of had a limited run. It was at some uh, film festivals. Zach got to see it in Toronto. So he kind of got me ready to be like, yo, this isn't Apples, which was his pick of the week last week. This is Fingernails, <laughs> a movie, as we were saying earlier, about this test that can uh, determine how much you love a person percentage-wise, I guess, but it won't tell you it's, also who loves who. It's like a other. like a compatibility test, but it's done by removing and testing your fingernails. Your fingernails. But you can also, like, later on remove a fingernail years later and get a second test. Yeah, it's like if you're in love with the person right now. It's like not... It's not like a compatibility as much as it is like, how are you feeling right now if you can't figure it out for yourself? I'm sorry, but that's like the the Mean Girls meme. I think there's 50% chance that it's already raining. Like, right. I, that was ridiculous. Um, great cast. Jesse Buckley. Always fantastic in everything that she's in. You could tell she's working with things that the movie's not even trying to address, uh, especially when they got close-ups of her face. Riz Ahmed is good. I'm starting to wonder if, like, Riz Ahmed is always doing too much in the movies that he's in. Uh, and even Jeremy Allen White, one of the most subdued ones. And I, like, I really felt every scene that he was in because this is a man who's just trying to work, just trying to get things done. And he's, like, questioning his partner who says she's going to get a job in teaching. But in reality, she ends up, you know, keeping a lot of secrets from him. And he's always, like, not just questioning their relationship, but, like, questioning, like, what are they both bringing into um, that household? You know... Right off the bat, 
I just didn't believe the whole process of the fingernails. I thought it yeah. was the dumbest thing. There's, you know, we've been talking about this director being a, uh, it's derogatory to say, uh, <laughs> what's his name, Junior? Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. He's worked he's, with him. He's worked with him. He's also a Greek director. Both of their uh, films have this kind of wry approach to interrogating social structures. There was a lot of sensibilities that they share. Yeah. And now it's being a little detrimental because apples was something different. Fingernails feels like someone saw the lobster and went, hmm, how can I make that a little bit more real? And while it is more real, I believe the lobster where you're going to turn into a freaking animal if you don't yeah. find a partner way more than I did this fingernails thing. Why does anyone believe in this? I, I like I didn't understand. There's so many mistakes this thing does. Like even on the business perspective, when they're because it's what one of the Owen brothers, if I'm not mistaken, Luke Wilson. Yeah. Like, wouldn't his whole outlet be like, uh, we don't want competitors? But he's like, no, these competitors are helping out. Uh, I said one of the Owen brothers. Yeah, Wilson brothers. Yeah. <laughs> they sound so much alike. There was one point where I, I you just hear his voice, and I'm like, wow. Loki. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stop, bro. But, but like for real, he he's the one running this business, and yeah. you know, it, wouldn't it be in your best interest to like not have failures because then people won't want to believe in this? Severance, I think, is a world uh, again, another Apple show that really built out this this universe, and where you're like, okay, I can see why. Um, people are falling for this and how they were even able to build up this world with the tech company that it is. And even was showcasing people who like were against it and what may be building on the outside of the severance world. Here it was like, yeah, I don't really agree with it. I'm like, yo, this is like shaping people's lives. This is the rotten tomatoes of love for people. Like, like I, I don't know. I just did not believe the process of yeah. them putting this together. And I think that's why I couldn't follow along with it early on. Not bad. Yeah. Just, I did not, did not fulfill it for me. Josh in the live stream said, did you think the concept was confusing? I found some holes in the reasoning. I don't know if it's so much that I it's confusing in that I think that the film sort of establishes some logic and then doesn't follow its own logic, right? Yeah. Like in Gremlins, they say you don't feed them after midnight. And it's a little bit like the movie was like, let's just feed them after midnight anyway. It might be more interesting. Yeah. You know, like the, I think you either establish very sort of like strict rules for your world to be in or you you kind of have to abandon them because like uh, what you're left with is sort of this like half in half out unsatisfying thing that doesn't really make sense and like the fingernail aspect of it like he said he was inspired by by swiping on a phone you know going on tinder and using your fingernail essentially to say yes or no to different uh oh, different potential love no interests. <laughs> it's an interesting idea but like i just don't I think the way that the movie actually handles the fingernail aspect of it, it is like not, it's not fully in. It doesn't like, I don't know if the movie knows what they want you to think about the fingernails, right? Yeah. If you're going off of that, that's, look, that's a good log line, you know, that it's based off of the swiping. But at that point, just go see that Black Mirror episode. That got it down yeah. pat in terms of really having it be something on your phone that deals with algorithms. Maybe it's because I'm just so anti-algorithms that I didn't understand why people were, were like, I don't know, for this. They built something where it's supposed to spawn these really intimate moments with people. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um and because I couldn't believe it, I, I couldn't believe their intimate moments. I feel that they would have been questioning it in so many ways. There's one scene where they're like the, the machine messes up, right? And they like zoom out and it's a gay couple. And I'm like, wow, hey, what are they doing in this movie? And they just never got into pockets of like, even in the test, they do these um, like almost uh, trust falls and like 
sniffing and, and, and zapping yourself to, to really make yourself uh, be conditioned to yeah. loving the person, feeling pain when they're gone. And I'm like, this is getting into a completely different territory than even a compatibility test. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it felt like it wanted to be multiple things at once. And I don't know, it, it really yeah. stinks. And some of that stuff in particular, I thought was really interesting and funny and sort of like they're trying to almost like instill Pavlovian responses of love yeah. in people. Like that is really cool. But then it sort of stays there for a while. I, I found myself really enjoying this one and then just enjoying it less and less until I felt like I didn't enjoy it at all. And yeah. I don't know if you agree with me in that there's like a couple moments where it really feels like they could have just ended the movie like 30 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier, five minutes earlier, and it would have essentially felt like the same thing. Yeah, you guys had told me this early on, and I was just like, ah, man, I maybe there could be more. I had seen the trailer last week, and I was like, oh, this is an interesting trailer. It's giving me a little bit more of the world, and I just I, I could not. It looks pretty. Um, I, I don't know what they shot it in, but there was a lot of, like, you know, film grain that would just pop up on the screen digitally. Um, but I, I just wanted it to be more. I'm curious to know people's thoughts on Fingernails. It's playing over on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. Not a bad movie. Just still. You know, Still interested in what Christos Niku wants to do next. Yeah, we're like sixty percent on like compatibility. If we were to, <laughs> if we were to uh, to mesh it there, uh, but continuing more on the streaming side of things, Quiz Lady was another movie that you caught over at Toronto, and you said it was a yeah. very fun experience. Uh, I know that they were premiering it there, readying for readying it for their Hulu premiere because this is one of those Fox movies that could have been in theaters if they wanted to. And now they're like really big releases for Hulu. Like, yeah. you know, shout out Apple. For sure. They're, they've got some of the best movies coming out, but they're doing the theatrical. Hulu really is releasing like massive movies that would play for a month in theaters. And you're getting them in the comfort of your own home. Mm -hmm. Quiz Lady wasn't that bad, dude. I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, yeah. It's pretty much as soon as we, Alina and I like to write notes when we're watching a movie. And this movie begins with this little girl just watching uh, what is practically Jeopardy. Um, this quiz show that she grew up when all this turmoil was happening around her and as she grows up she's like answering everything and you know it's leading to her maybe being on the show and they kind of give you this whole crazy reason for why she needs to be on the show but we both wrote down um, White Men Can't Jump <laughs> if you remember that scene with yeah. Rosie Perez which they uh, cut that storyline out of the remake yes uh, we don't need to bring up the remake from, the, from what jack arlo did but no this was a really fun movie and uh, yeah. you had described it as them kind of swapping out the roles with aquafina playing the more subdued sandra o role and then sandra o playing this like bombastic aquafina role yeah and i love that dude it worked so well right i thought the jokes delivered i i like the uh eagerness of being involved in the the quiz show um the routine that she had going with it uh, and yeah, I thought this was a, a really fun watch, one that I would definitely recommend on Hulu. Yeah, there's a bunch of like very little things in this movie where it's like, what is this plan that these gangsters are doing? Like, why do they need to kidnap the dog? Like, what hey, is man, up with the mother? And it's it's all it's all little nitpicks that don't really matter in the scheme yep. of things as long as you're enjoying yourself. And especially like once they get going, once they're on their adventure. It's fun. It's it's two pretty charismatic people in roles that suit them, and some some decently funny jokes, some bits that uh, honestly, like when I saw it in Toronto, the entire theater was was cracking up for like that. To hear the sound in the room for the bit about her broken or dislocated wrist, just Bruh. people squirming and cringing. At we it. were in art. Yeah, that that was disgusting. Yeah, I mean, but it's effective, right? Like it does elicit 
laughter and it, it might not be the funniest movie it might not be like the the best story that you've seen in a comedy but it works it's effective and especially for like a hulu release i think it's really strong maybe the fact that it isn't in theaters is kind of like in a weird way uh, a Helping good it. thing for this movie because okay. i don't know it's like it's an okay theatrical experience but it's a pretty good uh hulu one yeah for sure i mean there's some cameos in there that i know were kind of ruined when you went uh to the to the Q&A for that. I thought that worked really well, especially with yeah. it deals with a neighbor. And if you pay attention, that neighbor's address is there's 664. She's 666. <laughs> and they have a lot of funny moments in there. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite clips, like uh, it's it's in my top 10 to my top two. Okay, it's my number one. Yeah. Will Ferrell was really good in this movie playing the, the Trebek type. And kind of in a in a slightly different tone than I think we normally get from Farrell. Like he's so kind of gentle and soft voiced in it. The sarcasm is in the background for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it was given to another character who I know you were telling me this this whoever made this movie really doesn't like um, Ken Jennings. He's not the host anymore, right? He is. I think him and Ryan Bialik are co hosts on Jeopardy now. Look, I don't watch it that much to have a complete opinion. Yeah. But I never liked Ken Jennings, and if this is how people really see Ken Jennings, I can see why. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know if this is, like, how the Jeopardy diehards view Ken Jennings, but uh, Jason Schwartzman plays him like no a complaint. asshole. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not bothered by it. Yeah, no, this was really good. I, I, yeah. I like the, uh, the, their sister uh, Bond and Road Trip. They had a pretty funny uh, drug sequence in this movie as well. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very rare to, to not have something that, that at least uh, approaches a little bit differently, especially because for our Scorsese uh, binge, I went back to watch Wolf of Wall Street uh, looking for some more clips. And that, that uh, uh, it's not even the Quaalude scene. I always had it wrong. I thought it was the Quaalude scene that was the, uh, the him driving back in his, in his car. Yeah. You take something else. It was like some other pill. Um, so it's like that was still fresh in my mind. We saw this one right afterwards, and I was like, oh, look, they, they were able to reinvent it in another way. Quiz Lady, very funny movie. I would recommend it over on Hulu. For sure. Now we have the movie that I, like, was interested in because of who made it. Yeah. And then slowly and little by little just became, like, a chore to watch. Mm-hmm. Watch because I, I feel like... Ever since the LA Times found uh, really great success with that Flamin' Hot Cheetos thing, they have come out and have decided to to belittle anybody if they didn't cross their T's, dot their I's. And, like, I don't even know what to think anymore because it's like this is a movie about a woman's story who, at 60 years old, after attempting it so many times, decides to swim for 60-something hours, right? Mm-hmm. From the coast of Florida to Cuba. Other way. With pe- oh, she goes from Cuba to Florida? Yeah. Sorry. And in doing so, she's got people next to her. And the idea is that they can't assist her in any way, shape, or form. Except for assisting her with food and drink and Right, right exactly. At that point, I'm like, wait, wait. So you guys have a problem with that, but not everything else? I don't know. I, I read the article. It Like, everything that stood out to me was weird for sure. But, like, yeah. it did not stop the fact that this is still a 60-year-old woman swimming across. Um, right. I don't know. It's weird because, like, there's certainly, like, obviously undeniably impressive aspects of her story. Uh, But if you want to go to naiadfactcheck.com, there are people who have dedicated a lot of time, it looks like, into trying to to debunk different aspects of her story. Not just in terms of her swims, but, like, in terms of her personal life. Everything. Yeah, like, going, going through, like... Her, her claims of assault and stuff like that and trying to deny it. So I don't know how, how verifiable all of the 
fact check stuff is. Uh, I was moving stuff in the Notion. Mm-hmm. And I literally went to go get something, that terrible pot of coffee that I made the first time around. And I come back and I see you typing naiadfactcheck.com. That's what I was going to add. I burst out laughing. So just so you know, <laughs> I found the same thing too. Good, and good. I think that's crazy that someone's paying for a domain. Right. Like it, it might say something if somebody is going to the link of paying for a domain but just to like counter the things that you've said. That's also haters out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, that I... It's hard to know where the truth lies, and in uh, in cases like this, I often uh, believe that it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I think it's hard to also ask us, the the audience, to be the litigators of the truthfulness of stuff like this, right? Like, yeah, ultimately, this is being consumed as a piece of entertainment, right? And maybe the entertainment feels a little bit more hollow if you know that you're being manipulated or lied to. But I also feel, I also feel like the, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, but yeah, (laughs) um, I, I, I think it's, they're both Nyad and John Wilson are after very different things, but I think it's also that like Nyad doesn't really work the same way if like it's not being truthful about the circumstances because the circumstances are part of what's effective about it if that makes any sense i agree um i think and we'll get into like breaking down the movie itself because like you were saying it's supposed to have some awards buzz and you could still judge a movie Woman King was another example from a couple right. of years ago where it's like uh, people were really upset that they weren't showing them as like terrible people but it's like they, they kind of got into that subplot but nonetheless, they were trying to look at them as like from their perspective. And we get this from, you know, mobster movies to Killers of the Flower Moon is another one that's been getting backlash for being too much on on the killer's side. Perspective, um, yeah. Yeah, for Nyad, I know that right off the bat when they were talking about the movie, they had already mentioned that they lied about a shark attack that was in there. More so because they wanted to showcase what the protocols would have been if a shark would have attacked her. But a shark right. never attacked her. And... Yeah, you know, when I was reading up on NyadFactCheck.com and several <laughs> other sources, there was, like, people calling her out because of uh, her having a photograph where she was, like, being helped up. And they're like, this is proof. And then someone came in and said, well, she's wearing a completely different outfit. And they were like, so what? And it's like, well, yeah, like, if you want her to be truthful, then the people also wanting to tear her down, y'all gotta be truthful, too, if you're fighting for mm-hmm. the truth. And, and yeah, that's where things get very sticky with it. But movie-wise. Movie-wise. What did you think of their performances? I thought they were fine. I thought it was very kind of like traditional Hollywood biopic acting. You know, it's, it's a bit of a departure from the net Benning that I think maybe we're more used to. She has like a very gruff demeanor. Uh, She's obviously doing a lot of the swimming herself. So it's a bit of a physical role for her as well. Um, And Jodie, Jodie Foster maybe is a little bit more in a mode that we're used to seeing her in. But mm-hmm. I don't know. They're, like, it's kind of just a film where they have a very um, chartable car- character arc, right? Like, you know, it's leading to a, a monologue deep in the second act that's going to be them, like, really uh, growing as a person over the course of, you know, 30 yeah. seconds of dialogue. It, it, I, I just felt like maybe because the film itself doesn't really stray too far from uh you know traditional biopic territory that i i wasn't too moved by their performances either even though i found them both effective 
Yeah, there was a certain point early on when they're arguing with each other, and they'll just be talking, and someone will be like, did you forget the stuff from Petco? And then they have to grab the Petco bag and put it like that, or she's drinking Diet Coke, that I'm like, ah, okay. A lot of this is kind of being compromised for the big feature film that they wanted to make, and um, I think it's an interesting way to showcase it because of the director's background. Um, we should I, mention however, it's uh, uh, Elizabeth Vassar-Helly and Jimmy Chin, who I just wish are the they, documentarians they, yeah. who made Free Solo and other documentaries we like, but it's their feature film debut, narrative Might as debut, well have just made rather. it another documentary, if we're being honest with you. Yeah. I think that the way that they're able to approach their documentaries, I think, does it in a much better way. Uh, there were moments, you know, knowing about all of the behind the scenes and about about how it may have been a lie. Where you start listening to some of the lines that she says uh, in yeah. the movie and even in interviews, I just want the honesty. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe you guys are pretty good feature film directors and you were kind of getting aspects <laughs> right. of it out of Well, her. the the epilogue ends and there the epilogue starts rather and it's like 30 people witnessed her journey it's like oh you're trying to make sure that we know that there's uh yeah people who can fact check this okay um i don't know right I, because I, they show you with one boat but the end credits do say there were several boats and i'm like so then why don't you show that in the movie because that's what you're being called right. out for exactly uh, i in my letterbox review i called it perseverance porn or the everest of the water like everest to me is kind of the the movie to compare it to because it's less so less about like the journey of the character, even though the character does show some growth by the end, mm -hmm. then it is just like spending the time in the elements witnessing uh, the adversity of the protagonist, right? Like rather than yeah. uh, extreme cold and blizzards, blizzards, it's also extreme cold and the dead of night and sharks and box jellyfish, jellyfish. you know, like it's, it's it's just about like how many obstacles can nature throw at her way yeah. and Annette Benning will just sort of half deliriously say, I'm going to stay swimming or whatever. With her, with her big lips like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like everything had just been sucked out of her. There was some really interesting night shots. I will give them that when they yeah. kind of showcased how you follow her through the night. There's like, it almost looked like a jellyfish itself, that red glow that they put in mm -hmm. the, in the water. She would also have these moments where while she's swimming, they put you into her headspace where she recalls a lot of stuff from her youth, be it her stepfather who explained to her that you could go all the way to Cuba, you know, like it's, it's swimming distance. Um, yeah. But there's one through line also about like her swimming teacher and like what she had to persevere there. And it's, you know, I, I thought that was really well written and performed by her in, in the sense that like she's overcoming a past trauma. And if she could overcome that, what is this swimming 60 hours? I was like, all right, you guys have a pocket here that, that does really work um, and could have stood out. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that, Covering this as a documentary might have been a little bit better. I think there's only so far you can get in a movie like this where, yeah, comparing it to Everest or a lot of other movies, um, oh, yeah, you're just seeing them kind of go through the trauma there. There was yeah. one moment, though, where she's, like, doing practice, and they put a filter on her flashbacks or her memories. Mm -hmm. I thought that at first my TV went wonky because <laughs> it's imitating what it looks like when when the wa when the light goes through the water right then yeah. i thought i was full on having a stroke <laughs> and it took me a while because it then comes back to to, to the normal time that i was like oh okay it's an effect bro i got so scared i didn't even know what was going on <laughs> had to like but, check your glasses or whatever yeah i was hoping i wasn't smelling burnt toast but <laughs> yeah I, had, I i don't hate it um but i think they make much better documentaries i think that really gets into the truth of it and i think yeah. when you compromise the truth with a movie like niad and a movie like um what was it the other LA Times? Uh, uh, Flaming Hot. Flaming Hot. That you can like the story of her and her partners here in Nyad, and you can also love the the love story in Hot Cheetos, but you can't deny that a big 
thing that's up in the forefront is that the 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 truth of them making it up exactly you know, from the bottom up and uh yeah that that can kind of compromise the story a lot you know last week we previewed this movie a little bit and i mentioned that uh jeff snyder uh was saying that this is a potential best picture contender and we were joking a little bit because he is somebody who is known to throw out some crazy uh proclamations here or there but i do think there's something to be said about this being kind of a potential middle of the road choice we talked about coda earlier this year just like a a easy satisfying kind of movie that i don't know if i want to count it out of the oscars discussion right now but i do think i would be surprised if it got literally any nominations no you got rustin coming up right around the corner like why would that's another netflix movie that's also based on a true story and that's not getting fact checked like that Go for that. You have way more options. So I, I, I agree with you. And I would say that if for whatever reason it pops up, it deserves even more hate than at that point because, no. I, I was reading up the World Guinness Records. The, they re- revoked her thing. The the Swimming oh. Association of Florida revoked her thing. Like That's hey, pretty she's, damning. She's still she's still swimming uphill. Let's just put it that way. But not yet. Yeah. It is out on Netflix. Probably the best way to watch it. Um, if you were curious on the story, not a bad movie, but probably a compromised uh, backstory when it comes to what you did. Um, yeah. Other than that, any other little uh, pop-ups that you wanted to for other movies that are on the week before we move on to the news of the week? I mean, we could give a quick shout to Ralph Barbosa if you want, because uh, you put him on my radar. So I decided to check out the special. It was my first time s- seeing his comedy. You know, I think he's got this kind of low energy, dispassionate delivery Thank that occasionally you. will be like interspersed with like a, a moment of, of liveliness. And he, he does a, a sort of like sly, occasionally naughty little punchline that it feels like he's just kind of sneaking in there. Um, it reminds me a lot of Dion Cole's stand-up. I don't know if you ever uh, watched Dion Cole. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like now Dion got a lot of energy sometimes when that comes out. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's obviously like in the Old Spice commercials and stuff now. But I think they both have this really fun sort of sneakiness to their humor, right? Where yeah. like they they you won't they'll play it low key and they'll throw out something like really crazy. And it's like, Oh, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's fun. I mean, I I didn't find the special like to be overly hilarious, but it's pretty consistently amusing. Uh, The bit with bit about Dasani and uh, drinking like it's drinking from the hose. I thought was very funny. (laughs) That was pretty good. Um, Yeah. That was one of his top jokes. Yeah. I mean, it feels, you know, like a classic first special, you know, he's, he's building the material. He's got that hour long and it's a, it's very entertaining. Yeah, he was a little nervous in this one. Uh, I wanted it to be a little bit better, but it wasn't bad for it. I, I would highly recommend if you see any of his other clips on YouTube, he's got some other ones that are that are like, he's got, he'll have like uh, a five or 10 minute set that I think easily mops his first one, but good point. First set, going through the growing pains. I'm very curious to see what he does next. Uh, then I also checked out over on Prime, the uh, hot potato I documentary, the story of the Wiggles. I saw Kaylin would mess with it. I told you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's solid, you know, I, I think it's it's interesting to see people talk about making children's music like earnestly, like the actual, yes, the craft of it and not just sort of saying, oh, it's just silly or it's just, yeah, like they're, they're, they're actual like artists, right? Um, Thank you. I'm glad you and, said and, that. Yeah, yeah. It's also just cool because like, particularly given that they speak the Wiggles that that is speaks to a part, very young set of people. They talked about how their fan base sort of turns over every three years. So just yeah. seeing almost the generational aspect that even though 
this is a, a group that's been around for maybe like what 30 years there's like generations upon generations of kids who've grown up with them uh also very fascinating to see I do got to say, though, to me, the funniest thing that I've seen in a movie all year is when they're talking about one of their shows and the Blue Wiggle says, Greg was on fire. And it cuts to Greg singing, do the monkey and making monkey sounds. He was lit, bro. He was lit. <laughs> it, it's like some uh, pop star never stop, never stopping stuff. But, but they're genuine about it. <laughs> and that's genuine. what gets you like, it's so it's funny. Great. They're like, oh, it's you really great. need it. Yeah. Hey, look, Mozart's. Concerto number five, mm -hmm. fruit salad, yummy, yummy. To me, I mean, they're they're literally right there when you're a toddler. So, hot potato, the story of the Wiggles. I'm glad hey, you got it, dude. The elephant fruit salad cover that that brought me a lot of joy during the the lockdown. Bro, the say. breakdown of that and the fact that I got song of the I don't know what radio station that was, but I was like, I remember when that dropped. I didn't realize Damn. it was that big of a hit, but there wasn't yeah. that much music dropping in 2020. Nope. It, it does kind of go hard though. Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty good, um, but yeah, hot potato, the Wiggles. Always good to recommend this one. I think it was one of the best, better uh, documentaries yeah. of the year. I also got the Sly one. I don't have that pulled up, but I did see the Sly Oh, yeah, me doc. too. What did um, you think about it? What did you think of that one? I'll pull it up right now. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was like, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about these documentaries that are profiles of famous people. And I think we've used the term in the past that it's like a commercial. And I don't know, yes. like, what Sly is selling Maybe the himself. better thing to maybe the better thing is to say that is this is like a video autobiography, right? Because it's not really a biography. It's not getting into all the ups and nope. downs and the nitty gritty or, or interrogating uh, him at his lowest. But it's like his story, the way that he would like to tell it. And rather than sit down and write a write a book, because not as many people read books, he sat down and did a documentary about his life. And yes. I, I think there's an interesting aspect to hearing his story from his mouth. Like I, I particularly yeah. enjoyed hearing him talk about what he thinks about filmmaking and why certain films work and I'll why certain films uh, don't work. And, and you know, <laughs> him talking about why he thinks the farce is a dead genre of comedy. It, it's interesting. <laughs> fascinating stuff i don't know if i always agree with him um but like it's, but he's it's given also, his opinion right and that's cool yeah i mean i it's i would say like th that's the thing though it some of these talking some of these biopics the talking heads with the actual person they're focusing on are worthless i think here they're the best stuff i i kind of almost exactly. just want more of that even yeah. if it is kind of surface level it's still interesting to hear sly talk about Agreed. these aspects of his career yeah, this is definitely on the profile side, like you said, and where we always want the raw nitty gritty. We always think you need like an outside force for that. Sometimes you don't get the rights to things, but yeah, this is like the best version of a profile doc because there are some camera work where it, it, it feels like he just told like his dog or a kid, yo, put the camera. I have an idea to, to film what I was thinking during this moment in time. Yeah. And the camera's like over there. Like, I don't even know. It looks like the person's boxing with the camera. It looks terrible. But he's giving you insights on what he felt when he was making something. And I would say, like you were saying, it's it's like he, he chose to not make a book. He made a movie. But it's somewhere in the in-between where it feels like a YouTube video, a behind-the-scenes mm -hmm. of his, like, insights to what he felt during some of this filmmaking. And he just so happens to get Quinn Tarantino to sit down and say some stuff. Yeah, uh, I like bad. when he got Talia back in. Yeah. Wesley Morris, bro, usually that's that's been, like, a, a, a radar to me. If they can get Wesley in there, I assume, okay. He's approving of it to some degree, you know. This right. is like the person who most journalists look up to as being like the the New York standard. Times film critic. Yeah. What did he win? Pulitzer Prize winner. So when he popped out, I'm like, okay, 
there, there's there's something going on there. Uh, at least he sees the honesty of a man who cares. Like you said, yeah. you may not agree with him, but I think people really underestimate that this isn't just like a guy who just wants to look cool and, and likes yeah. the blood and stuff. He breaks down filmmaking to a degree where you're like, oh, you care about the editing? The yeah. directing? The emotions? He starts breaking down him and Schwarzenegger, how they were going at it with the muscles and, and the blood and the guns. Okay, you, you got a bigger gun? Cool. Why held the bigger gun with one hand? And yeah. I loved hearing the behind the scenes and how they really saw it as, um, you know, a competition. filmmaking, a, a competition, but also like the art to all of that macho-ness, that there yeah. was a craft to it. And I found that really fascinating. I, I like, I've always loved listening to Stallone because I know he cares. Uh, I know mm -hmm. he's a dude that as much as Expendables is trash, he knows how to give the audience what they want. And I felt they were they were belittling Rocky 3 and 4 a little bit too much in this movie because I think those are some of people's beloved ones, especially with 4. Yeah, I was surprised but how much he doesn't he seem to went like down Rocky 3. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think in retrospect, he'll make slide two and, and look back at those as well. But yeah, no, it was really cool to see his uh, behind the scenes talking to a lot of that. And I, I yeah. would recommend it. I know this also premiered at TIFF. Um, so it, it'd yeah. be one to keep on your radar. Uh, but it is not as a top documentary, but a, yeah, one to but it is interesting too, because like, as we're saying, since this really is like the story he wants to tell, there are probably going to be aspects of his career that you're interested in that just get completely uncommented on there's i don't think they even mentioned yeah. the creed movies once they don't mention the creed movies they like barely talk about his child which yeah. to be i don't i feel like that would be a little bit more in a movie called sly uh yeah and he gets into like the, the critic stuff but he'll never really read the worst reviews he'll just go immediately into the ones that didn't get the movie and he's like meet me in an alley i'm gonna box you and i'm like yo That's he's the actually... original uh, what's his name <laughs> you a bull that's yeah. actually uh rob i was gonna ask you a question you know we've we've talked on this podcast for several years you've got your let, let me explain channel where you've talked about so many movies uh, of all the people that you've given negative reviews to who do you think you'd be the most afraid for coming out for you challenging you to a fight because sly, sly in the 70s and 80s that he's got to be up on that list yeah, but not right now. He said he's had five back surgeries, so I can go at him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, that's actually a really good question, Thing I'd, yeah. I'd have to come back to you on that. Because I I'm definitely... No one. <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if... It's probably one of the wrestler-turned-actors. I don't know if The Rock or uh, or John Cena is somebody uh, I, I should be more afraid of. Luckily, I've said nothing but good things about Dave Bautista. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I've talked... I'm not going to say smack. I've talked truth about a lot of people, and I know there's a lot. Of, I never really mentioned it, but we do get a lot of directors, writers, producers mm -hmm. that come in our DMs. Uh, you get to see them sometimes in our comments as well. I never make a big deal out of those because I feel that even when we do a lot of interviews, I'm always hesitant because you do an interview, and then you're almost like slowly pseudo become acquaintances and friends. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but the next movie that comes out, I don't want to compromise that truth. Um, all that to say, Drake, I know it's Drake. I know it's Drake. I know Drake listens to every word that's said about him and he'll take that to the next, to the next step. And, and I, I feel he's heard something. And I think that's why I've gotten some of my video, some of my music videos hit. <laughs> I think he's got the pull. Uh, so yeah, def definitely don't want to mess with Drake. He's certainly pulling some strings behind. But it's some, very rare. Yeah, I have gotten directors who do like, or, or actors yeah. who do appreciate like me going at them. And they'll like respond to me and be like, yo, I disagree with you. But I was like, that's completely fine. Of course you do. Like you've spent time in this, but I yeah. know, you know, I hit something that you were probably, you probably felt where it was compromised. And sometimes it's not even their fault. 
like they just knew that they were arguing with the director or something. I don't know. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I never really get too deep into it because, yeah, I think the more that you um, become friends with people. Someone did reach out at one point and they're like, yo, I really love your stuff. Then they were a voice in an animated movie and I wasn't very happy with the animated movie and they unfollowed me right after the release of that video. <laughs> so that happens a lot. Um, yeah. But I, I, I'm here for the listeners. I'm not really here for the for the interviewers. So um, yeah, there we Sly, go. If you ever want to box, sure, I'd be I'd be down to to at least see it. That I think that would be fascinating. It's a win win though. You know, I, I've noticed that with Fantano, you can diss somebody, and if they ever come out to say anything, you like you as a reviewer have won. The yeah. moment oh, you yeah. get acknowledged, you have won. It doesn't even exactly. matter at that point. That means you struck a nerve. Um, exactly. But yeah, I don't. I don't think I ever talk smack. I think some people get very personal, and I don't. I don't think I get personal. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I try no, to be honest or real about it. We're we're doing criticism, and but sometimes yeah. people don't really love to hear don't like that criticism. criticism. Yeah, that happens all yeah. the time. Yeah, and that leads to copyrights. Yeah. Oh, have you? Uh, there is. There's a you... horror. There is a horror person. Oh and really? We did the math. Yeah. Every single time we've covered their movies, I can guarantee you it's from them. And they're a big horror. They're a big horror person. Who? I don't even know what you're mouthing, but it's a big horror person. Every single time we've covered their stuff, even when we've cut it up and re-uploaded it, they have always hit us. Uh, you're going to have to tell me after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you catch any of the second season of Invincible yet? All four? Oh, okay. So I think people have only had the chance to see one. I've also seen all four. Uh, what do you think, at least, of season two, part one? Look, more than ever. Yes, that's the man right there. <laughs> uh invincible part one is not as powerful as season one is because i've been going back to cut up like a previously on let me explain for uh the first season of invincible which i think is one of the best adaptations one of the best things prime has put out there and i think that season two is facing that uphill battle of having been so fantastic in season one that it's now trying to make up for that incredible pilot episode, right? And it yeah. just won't be able to. It's also dealing with a lot of the aftermath that happened uh, with the finale of the other one. I, I think it's solid. I think it's good. But even out of the f four episodes that we've gotten, I think it's it, it's not that it's filler, but it's filling in a lot of the aftermath before we actually mm -hmm. get the continuation of that f final fight that we got. It, it, the way that season one ended is a kind of like momentum shifting event for the, ages. for the world of invincible but i think it also left things in a place where they had to do a lot of picking up of the pieces and putting them back into place and i think that's what a lot of what's happening in this part one of season two is sort of resetting the deck re reshuffling or whatever it is yeah um i think it still hits but i think the thing that i get concerned about with a show like this which is sort of the thing that's been happening to me with uh, the boys as well is that uh, these shows that go so extreme can you get to a place where it just ends up not like ends up all feeling muted because it's all so extreme yeah do you sort of desensitize yourself to how hard hitting the world is how suddenly things turn like there's a there was a major sort of character death that uh, I, that happens but it happens so frequently on this show that I don't know if it even registered to me as like a major moment, mm. if that makes yeah. any sense. No, for so, sure. I still really want to see where they go to because I think they've set things up really interestingly. But at the same time, I could see myself becoming disillusioned with the show. One thing I will have as a criticism 
there are certain voice actors in this who play some of like the side heroes. I am sorry, but I cannot not see your voice, like your face. Uh, it just stands out. It's Ben Schwartz, much. isn't it? It's Ben it's Schwartz. Ben Schwartz and Mitsukis, bro. I cannot <laughs> not not hear them, bro. It's bad. Hey. I mean, they they are uh, very busy, prolific voice actors, I think we could say. Seth Rogen, too. But they're all like buddies, and Seth Rogen's a producer yeah. on the show as well. But yeah. yeah, they voice stuff, and it's like, I am not hearing anything but but you guys. And even when you do other animated stuff, like y'all, do, y'all will not change at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Should we get into some news? Let's get into this news, because it was a massive report that came out from Variety about... Marvel being in shambles? Zach, I'm look, I'm going to have you break it down. But I feel there's two things that I'm tired of here. The first yeah. is oh, Trump's going to go to jail. This is it. <laughs> and the two the second is that's it. It's over for Marvel. It never happens, bro. So <laughs> tell me why I should even care about this. All right. Well, Variety put out a long article. I think a lot of people had a lot of opinions on some of the things that they uh, uncovered in the article. It focused on a few things uh, going on with the company. Obviously, some of their films haven't been hitting as well, whether that's the... That's uh, criti- my theory. The critical and audience reception not being as strong with their last few movies. The box office numbers also not being as strong with their last few movies. And some of the resetting that's happening because there was a point early uh, after the onset of the pandemic when it seemed like uh, Disney Marvel was trying to make it so that there would never not be some new Marvel thing happening, whether it's the movies or the shows, it was going to be one thing after another, after another. And what this article essentially asserts is that it kind of diluted the talent pool at Marvel and that people like Kevin Feige and his, uh, you know, trusted cohorts couldn't quite oversee projects the same way that they would. And it leads to production problems down the line. A lot of the article talks about all the issues they've had with the unfinished VFX, Quantumania premiering with, uh, quote, at least 10 scenes where the visual effects had been added the last minute and were out of focus. Uh, If you watched Quantumania, you know that they actually updated those uh, effects post-release. So they Thor 4 had the same thing. They again and again, these movies are be and shows are being released with unfinished visual effects, or even the trailers are showcasing them. Well, uh, we know this. Part, yeah, we know all that. Although it's talking about it in some more detail, a lot of people say that that those are some of the primary re- reasons that uh, Victoria Alonso was fired, even though they claimed mm. that it was because she was working on a different movie and Oscar mm. campaign for that. Uh, the article asserts that that's more of a cover story. Uh, the mm-hmm. article also uncovered, I think, a really interesting thing that She-Hulk episode one was originally supposed to be a flashback that happened in episode eight. And part of the reason why, A, the effects look bad and B, it sort of feels kind of like a janky start to the series is because late in the process, they sort of refigured that in order to kind of give people a Mark Ruffalo episode off of the bat and perhaps like boost those uh, episode one viewing numbers. I think that's one thing that you and I have always looked at when it came to these shows. They kind of did that Quibi thing where they took a big movie and they're like, okay, what if we split it up to be a a series instead? And while people were making fun of the $250 million uh, budget that it had, it was like, well, yeah, they were able to do that because it's TV. But it's also a movie budget 
that they chose to make episodic because that way they were never going to finish the VFX. And by delaying the release, by making it a weekly thing, they were able to have extra weeks of people, you know, turmoiling all over all of this. And mm-hmm. it's not a good way to go about the business. Obviously, at a certain point, it's going to catch up to you. But like, did people really need this report as part of it? When we talked about Thor 4, we said those effects look terrible and you always get the MCU stands. You just don't get it. And then it's like a call when it comes out that they did get updated. So are you going to delete your comments? And they never do. I I think the people who are set in loving this are set in loving this. I don't know how much of it it's going to change. Some of the ones that did uh, stories that stood out to me was a report of uh, Blade. Yeah, so Blade has been going uh, undergoing several rewrites and it... it, uh, We've been hearing about all the delays. In fact, I think the original announced release date was this weekend. I think it was supposed to come out in November 2023. Uh, But it's not even, hasn't even begun production yet. Uh, There was (laughs) a rumor. That's crazy. (laughs) Crazy. There's a rumor that one of the scripts had rewritten it. So it was, quote, like about Blade learning life lessons. And it was mostly centering the female leads and Blade was the fourth lead. I've seen one of the, one of the people who actually worked on the script for Blade come out and say that they never saw something like that. That's another thing you end up getting with uh, reports like these is sometimes people are placing items for trying to get a specific agenda across. So I don't know what the agenda is there, but you know, it's interesting at least knowing that all these issues with Blade have led Marvel in part to uh, slash the budget of the film back down to only a hundred million. Still sounds like a lot. It's a lot less than they produce most of these superhero properties. That ain't for. right. That's not um, right. Yeah. So, in I understand like the sentiment of thinking that's not right. I do think it's a thing that Marvel really has to start exploring. Is that they need to make some of these projects not be massive gambles they need to produce some things that don't uh, they need to be able to produce things that don't earn or or don't lose money if they don't earn over a billion dollars because that's where they've been at for so long and it makes the stakes impossibly high to continue to live up to now choosing to do that with blade first may not be the right right way to do it yeah yeah I also think that the release of this is, it makes no sense. A little sidebar right here. The um, uh, Hassan Minhaj article yes. that was made on him. I We never fully covered that, but that was a whole release that came out uh, calling him out for a specific special and things that he had said. And this New Yorker article went out on him. Mm-hmm. That man took a couple of time to gather all of his facts and he released a report like a pretty much a video he made his own like he brought back his show and he's like no here's a breakdown you lied about this this and this and there was some pretty hefty points the article yeah. it said he showed a picture of his prom date which is like a big joke he's like he practically doxed her he goes those are actors right off the bat if the new yorker couldn't even get that right so i want to i want to come back with that one too because some of the points in his video he was also not being the most truthful about uh he was talking about the picture he showed during the special apparently the picture he showed on the broadway performance was the real picture so even in his response he kind of left out certain details he didn't respond to the accusations of uh people who felt uh, the women who felt like they weren't being listened to on the production of his show they didn't respond to the idea of the fact checkers who felt like they were being ignored on his show so even in his response, there were some like gaps in that. But again, I, I think this goes back to 
I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier, though, in that a lot of times the truth just lies somewhere in the middle. True. But it, like, and you were saying with this, what is the intent of reporting something in a certain yes. way? We all know that uh, they are looking for a replacement for The Daily Show. That man mm -hmm. really wanted The Daily right. Show. And this came out. Why release this Variety article right now, right in the midst of the Marvels having the worst pre-sale records that Marvel has ever had? Right before they're about to go get into production for Blade right as they're about to release echo right like mm -hmm. that's another one that they did dirty oh we want to do all of these you know uh, things in, in in terms of having the first superhero who's indigenous who is uh has yeah. a disability and yep. then kind of just drop it in the midst of this i don't know i feel like it kind of works in cahoots because when they released this article every person made a video on it mm -hmm. like it, it i think they know how the rollout goes i know that if they if something gets reported on they know that there's going to be this trickle effect of a bunch of people covering it so they could become this massive thing marvel more than any other film studio right They're now smart. i think is very good at playing the trades to their favor like the the casting rumor cycle and stuff like that they are very Black much Widow? in control of how those things never come denying out. that robert downey jr was going to be on there until exactly. the week of right before they're very smart they're very smart yeah uh, there are a couple other things that were addressed in the article. Do you want to talk about Jonathan Majors or we talk uh, specifically about the issues with the film, The Marvels? Shoot, both. All right. Um, I think we can get through some of the Marvel stuff a little bit faster because uh, the film had a test screening where there were middling reviews. Uh, the latest is that Nia DaCosta had to step away from the film during post-production to work on her new film, uh, Hedda, which she's working on with Tessa Thompson in London, which started its own news cycle of people saying, no, that's a normal thing for directors to walk away during post-production. Like, actually, maybe not. And uh, Nia Costa has since come out and said that she was contractually obligated to be on this next film, but worked, uh, you know, virtually uh, on the film in post-production. It doesn't really mm -hmm. sound like the, the most uh, out of left field thing to me, particularly when you consider some of the previous comments that Nia DaCosta had made about her work on the Marvels, where she said that this is a Kevin Feige film. And that when you sign up to work on a Marvel project, you know that ultimately it's not yours. You're working for the company. Uh, I don't know if any of the stuff that had come out about Nia DaCosta or the Marvels has you feeling any kind of way about that movie. It has me feeling like, and it's going to be my pick of the week, Nia DaCosta's Candyman has aged like fine wine considering one of her Marvel <laughs> stars is in that movie literally going through this when she decides to get a job with some of the wealthy uh, art exhibitors that is in that. But we'll talk about that for picks of the week. Why, it, again, why did that become a big deal? Like, directors do this all the time. I, I like to mention how you were saying that she was obligated to do both of these movies and the Marvels kept getting pushed back. People are like, yeah. I know we know the People dates. People forget that. It got back. pushed back. Yeah. It got pushed back a whole year and a half. She's like, no, I need to start this next thing, but I'm still going to be involved with it. But on top of that, why does she need to be involved with it? We all already know. It's not even in this article. It was in the Variety article probably five years back. She's only directing the actors. Then there's the B unit over there directing all the action. You guys don't even care if she's in the edit. You don't yeah, I mean, care if she's in the edit and she's not the first Marvel director to do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are exceptions to the rule, obviously, like your Ryan Coogler's and your James Gunn's, but the vast majority of directors, I don't know if you can really feel too much of their presence on a Marvel movie, That's particularly when you consider, two? yeah, this is the, the sequel to the Marvels, and it's already... And, and, and the WandaVision spinoff, and the Miss yeah. like, come on now, be for real. It's already real. doing so much IP management, I, I, also, I don't know. 
um, I think all the trailers that they have released have been garbage, and I accidentally found an international trailer that actually made me laugh, and I'm like, so you oh. you can cut it up funny mm -hmm. if you wanted to. The test screenings that you mentioned was the first time that they've ever done test screenings, not for friends and family, but for an actual audience. And again, I question, why now? It's not even like the beginning of a phase. Why this one? And I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's a reverse engineered of getting the response that you want to cover up what you feel is not going to be a good movie. Um, throwing, I, I feel it sounds like throwing your director under the bus, but... Uh, look, it doesn't make me any more excited. It doesn't make me any less excited for the Marvels, but I definitely do think that uh, it, it it has me more piqued on um, the Costa now having more eyes on her and being able to have more eyes on her projects that have come in the past and that she's working on in the future because I do like her as a director. Yeah. I, as much as I am usually negative on Marvel stuff, like I thought the trailer for the Marvels was like kind of cute. Like I don't think it's going to be the worst time I have at a movie th this year. I, I've got my screening tomorrow night. I think you've also got yours uh, tomorrow so or the next day. Something like with that. the X Men rumors. <laughs> I mean, we, we could get into all that too, but let let's do a quick pivot towards Jonathan Majors because uh, innocent is that go. <laughs> I mean that that will have to take on the the spinoff podcast, but uh, for this one, executive quote executives discussed backup plans, including pivoting to another comic book adversary like Crazy. Doctor Doom. So that they are good, starting to feel the pressure inside Marvel, uh, partly because of Jonathan Major's legal troubles, but also partially according to the article because of the not so stellar response to Quantum Mania. Uh, Art, and do Loki? you think? The, I mean, it's also just a weird thing of like they introduced their next big villain, their next Thanos in a TV show when he's supposed to be the, the movie villain. And like I know Loki was seen by a lot of people, but it's not seen by nearly as many people as actually watch their movies. So and if they I don't know, do, it, he's playing like a, a variant. So you're looking at him going like, oh, he don't look menacing all the time. He's kind of that very yeah. weird, very weird approach. But sure. I think they've made some big mistakes in the way that they've introduced uh, the idea of Kang in the first place, like through yes. through their through a TV show and through one of their least popular film characters. Um, but it's also like, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Major's performance isn't the thing that is uh, threatening this. It, it, it's no. I think you know whether or not they think he's physically going to continue to be allowed into these movies. Um, do you do you like the idea of pivoting towards Doctor Doom? Though you're more of the the comic appreciator, I understander. Freaking love Doctor Doom. That to me should be the next big one. That would be the most phenomenal thing in the world because you're, you know, they've been building stuff from scratch. Thanos was big in the comics, but he wasn't really big in pop culture. Now he is, right? Like building mm. up the Guardians from scratch, building up all these things from scratch has been a fantastic thing that Marvel's been able to do. Doctor Doom said, and if you can kill that story, yo, that's how you level up the Infinity Saga, Endgame, all that stuff with a villain like that. They chose Kang. And they're deep into it. I'm like, I, I, you got to see this through, in my opinion. And yeah. with all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes, I mean, they've been flip-flopping, you know, with that whole case going on him and then going on her. We don't commentate on that stuff here because that, that stuff's always going to have new cycle rumors coming out. Yeah. Um, again, this being a rumor as well sounds like a way for them to try to pivot off of that or, or to try to come off like, oh, we're not really wanting to focus on him. But he is the main character right now, the, the main villain in the Loki series that I feel no one's really watching. I just don't understand the aversion 
to recasting. Like they they seem so set in their ways with this particular casting, but you know, we previously we recast Terrence Howard with Don Cheadle. So it they does recast happen. Scott Lang's daughter every other movie, right? So it like it does happen. Right. Why, so is, it would it be that happen. hard to just cast a different actor and just be like, no, this is Kang now, guys. This is a different variant of Kang. And that was the argument that people had for Black Panther. We right. I, I think both you and I like what they did with Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. but they were very much that that no, we can't do a recasting for this. But it's like, but you have yeah. done recastings for the other ones. So, so why is this yet another one where they can't do a recasting for? It does again make you wonder what's the real reasoning behind not wanting to go that route? I think they need, they need to finish off the storyline with him or not. I do agree with you. I, I hope they keep him. I think he's a fantastic actor. I would like to see him finish it off, all things considered, going well. But you have the ability to just get somebody else, bring them in, go that route, finish up that storyline, and then lead into Doom, right? You've been hyping up the Fantastic Four every week. The, the rumors about the casting for the Fantastic Four, that will be set in stone. No need to rush it. But, yeah, we've kind of already invested ourselves in Kang for a little bit. Um I think they need to finish that up. So I guess in concluding our our talk on this article, at least, you know, the article mentions that there have been discussions about the idea of like the break glass in case of emergency, go back to your original Avengers lineup, throw whatever money possible at Robert Downey Jr., bring back Scarlet, just explain it away in in some variant or multiverse kind of thing and, and give the people what they know, what you know they'll show up and see. You don't like you don't think that's the way out of this quote unquote crisis. You you also seem to be a little bit more optimistic about the future of Marvel than this article and maybe I am. What, like, what do you think is going to happen to Marvel? Like, this well, isn't the worst article that's come out on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there there is an argument to be made that their dominance over the culture is waning i'm not saying that the studio is going to be destroyed or the mcu is ending but the sort of like the way that uh avengers endgame felt like a monocultural moment where everybody was either seeing it or at least very aware of it Mm -hmm. they are not really as monocultural as they used to be now maybe the maybe that means that like people are shifting as we've seen like this year there's all this enthusiasm towards things like oppenheimer and barbie and five nights at freddy's and super mario like people are maybe ready for different styles of blockbuster but i I think that maybe the thing that um really is going to help marvel in the end is when they stop sort of messing around with these you know lesser known characters and these lesser uh loved stories and they try to you know shoehorn in um team-ups and stuff that maybe people are less interested in and they give us the x-men movie that we know is coming that they actually hit fantastic four out of the park you know that they they return to the stuff that has a built-in audience for it yeah and they do it they just do it well I think that MCU origin story is getting very boring. Even seeing it in DC with Blue Beetle, it's like people know the origin story too well. So you're at that point where, uh, you know, the way that they approach Spider-Man, they're like, oh, we already know that he got bit by a spider. They started off uh, homecoming, you know, immediately with him already being Spider-Man. We know that DC has been doing really well with the Batman, with Joker, with all of these movies that are superhero films that are really disguising indie films into being something bigger. I think Marvel's going to get there. Marvel's going to be able to make what they've already done in the past. Winter Soldier was uh, a spy thriller. 
I think the the less time that they focus on making these movies that are supposed to connect to another movie and focus on these genre type of films, they're yeah. set. Their problem is that they keep hiring directors, and I see a lot of people mention that in the chat, to not be the directors that they are known to be. And they, they like form them into the the Kevin Feige project as opposed to Marvel not being scared to be a part of them. DC's been doing that perfectly with the Joker, with the Batman. I think that's what uh, Gunn is really going to try to knock out of the park with his DCU. So if they have that going for them in hiring these directors that they'll have, they have more than enough money to, to you know, lure them in, have them make the type of project that they want to make that will get people interested. Oh, you're doing something different. I can come to any of these movies and not have to have all of this encyclopedic knowledge of the MCU. I could just be invested in this project and it's, it's good. You have to create that competition within yourself, you know? The idea of like, don't have the MCU fans be afraid of the DCU. Have the MCU fans go, no, this character is better than this character. This this movie approached it way better than this. And then to still sit back, like you said, on your Fantastic Four, on still continuing with Spider-Man, still having all of these big franchises, the X-Men. I don't think it's going anywhere, man. They got they got mm-hmm. too much money invested. And I've also, like you said, I'm a big comics fan. This is what happens in comics, baby. Like they just restart with a number, another number one. And I think uh, it, it's just the growing pains. If this is a sequel in terms of sagas, we finished, not the phases, but that Infinity Saga and we're on the Saga 2. Just like Lost Season 2, Yellow Jacket Seasons 2. People leave for a little bit, but they have to find their footing for what's next. Uh, it's not done yet. It's not done yeah. yet. It, but yeah, in the meantime, people are focused on other stuff and they need to get their stuff together. It's just become yeah. really big. It, that's the thing is I think that for a lot of people, a lot of people who are maybe more casual Marvel participants, I would put myself in that category, is like the Thanos saga gave us a clear sort of direction, right? We all knew it was moving towards this big team up, something that we hadn't seen before. And obviously with the threat of Kang and the uh, Avengers movies that they've put on their, their you know, four-year plan, five-year plan, whatever it is. Like, we know it is eventually going somewhere, but it feels so wide-ranging. It feels so hard to, like, get Wake me up when we get there. Yeah, I- I'm a little bit like that. Like, I'm, th- th- I was trying to keep up with the shows. I'm not doing that anymore. It's too much time. It's too many different characters. I frankly don't care about and, and and when the purpose of a lot of these properties is just to get them ready for their team up in the Marvels or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I didn't watch Miss Marvel and I feel like I'm ready for, I watched one episode of Miss Marvel and I feel and like I'm ready for the movie. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that uh, they'll find their footing eventually, but right now it's not bad to give the mention of how they, they, they're just going through those growing pains of not, being able to live up to the hype that they had before. Definitely. Um, and I saw here that uh, Josh, I think it was mentioned that they have the whole Marvel spotlight uh, division, which is dedicated towards more small scale stuff. Uh, like we we're talking before, I think the idea of not having every single property need to make a gigantic amount of money in order to succeed will be good for them and will give them the chance to introduce more interesting characters that they want to introduce without putting these crazy expectations on them and you know maybe the the way future which would be more similar to how they do it in the comic books is just make lots of different individual projects for different characters and if some uh, combination of character and director or actor and writing or whatever hit then you bump them up to the big project and there's an Avengers the movie in the works that they can be in, right? 
But yeah. yeah, we don't need every single person to have a cameo in the larger crossover multiversal property. Yeah. It's in shambles, but it's not going away. Yeah, for sure. Uh, quickly, though, do you want to talk a bit about this uh, Disney acquisition? Because there was a uh, a planned future for the rest of uh, the stake in Hulu. Disney and Comcast had an a, agreement to reach a deal on whether or not Disney would sell or buy out Comcast, the the re, the remaining Comcast shares in Hulu. Uh, Disney's yeah. gone ahead and decided to pay $8.6 billion to acquire a full stake in Hulu, meaning Disney, at least in the U.S. now, is in charge of uh, Hulu, Disney+, and ESPN all for themselves. They've got three streaming services under their bundle. Art, do you think this is a good decision? And do you think this maybe spells doom for the future of Hulu? Or do you think this is actually a good thing for the future of Hulu? Interesting. I'm curious to know your doom decision because I, like you, remember reporting on the idea that they wanted to get rid of Hulu, that they were like, mm -hmm. I don't know if we want to focus on that. Maybe we just want to push Disney Plus. And I think they realized maybe with like, you know, I'm looking right here on the, the trending, the bear being renewed. We were just covering movies that came out that are part of our lineup of theatrical releases, but they're on Hulu with Quiz Lady. And I think they realized that Hulu really is a big factor in that. I've been going mm -hmm. to the theater, the theater, dude. And I've been seeing an influx of Hulu has live TV. They got that uh, Jalen Hurts commercial yeah. <laughs> where he's just talking about the sports thing. Mind you, it ain't, it's false advertising. You need the Hulu plus live TV. It ain't really on your Hulu. But nonetheless, we know that for other countries, it's already been that bundle of Disney plus and Hulu. So they got it under star. About, yeah, we'll be talking about one service. And they're like, oh, that's sitting on one for me. It's not divided. Yeah. I, I think they really should consolidate and combine them and maybe this buyout is what's going to allow that they were never fully able to make it that and now that they own a majority of it they'll be able to make it all into one put espn disney plus all of that so that it doesn't become this like you know kind of what hbo went through and it being hbo max and then max and who knows how many more times they'll change it because i know they still kind of want to have it be discovery but that's now become the one app that discovery plus is in and the hbo is in and now all of their max originals i think yeah. they're kind of seeing all that mess that happened there and are going to do a rollout where they will combine it like it has been everywhere else no reason to have this many subscribers here here and here when you can combine them all into one and the smartest way to do it is combine them don't change the price for anybody just have it be that entry level price i'm not a fan of the tiers, but that's going to be the easiest way to not screw people mm -hmm. over. Make them think they're getting more, your same login, but now you're getting the Disney Plus stuff you didn't have as Hulu or vice versa. And then add and implement those like, I think Peacock's got it down pat right now with like, you can get it for free, full ads, you can get the premium stuff, and then you can get the the, the highest one where you pay an extra two ninety nine. I'm getting charged twice by Peacock, bro. They, don't, they are messing that part up. Uh -oh. I'm like paying for premium and then their two ninety nine no ads is a separate charge it's very messy yeah but if every single person is doing it prime is now doing it with their freebie prime and then they're they're like prime light that they're rolling out little by little mm -hmm. we know netflix said they were never going to do ads and they keep testing that maybe ads portion they're coming they're coming it's obnoxious but they're all kind of gonna end up doing the exact same thing and i don't know i, I think it's good in terms of how they're gonna put all of their stuff into one and maybe yeah. that can allow them to create better content. You think it's bad? Yeah. Uh, what do you think well, the doom might be here? 
Well, I mean, I, the doom is sort of the scenario you were laying out in which they decide to fold Hulu into Disney Plus and then it's not its own distinct thing, but just a branch off of the larger platform. Yeah. And I think, you know, putting Hulu within the Disney Plus economy maybe would limit some of the things that Hulu does really well. But I actually don't think that that's what's going to happen. You know, we, we, we talked a lot about the idea of consolidation and a lot of that was driven around this idea of, as you were mentioning, HBO Max and Discovery Plus merging into the mega Max service. But the initial... Paramount. Yeah, Paramount's combining uh, Showtime and... and, uh, Sometimes you were confused, like, who's got what? Hulu's doing that with Disney. Some Hulu stuff is going to Disney. Yeah, uh, Werewolf by Night, which was on Disney Plus, is now available on Hulu as well. So they're opening up their their cross-platform abilities, I guess. But I think the thing is that if you look at some of the recent numbers we found out about Max, they have been underwhelmed with the amount of people who've switched over their service from Discovery yeah. Plus to Max. There have been fewer signups. And if you you know look again at like Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, who at one point was saying that they we were reporting on this before that they were looking to get rid of hulu and now suddenly he is making a move to acquire all of hulu i wonder if the move for a company like disney is not to make a gigantic bundle mega service that has everything in it but rather say hey we have three services you can sign up for and you can sign up for it all under one price and you get three distinct things. And even if they're all products of the Disney company, Hulu, ESPN Plus and Disney Plus all feel like distinct services in a way that I don't know if Paramount Plus and Showtime uh, necessarily feel distinct, right? Yeah. So I, I wonder if that's sort of the counter move to the consolidation of streaming services we're seeing is kind of the the artificial... Uh, artificially saying you get more for less thing. Yeah, it could be. I just see like with the the TV thing and Prime having their channels, Hulu mm-hmm. having their channels. Like everybody wants to to maximize having everything into under under one umbrella. Apple TV does yeah. the same thing. They want you to get these other streaming services underneath them. The worst thing they could be is that they bought it out just to destroy it because <laughs> right. they couldn't destroy it if Universal owned fifty percent of it. But <sighs> we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully it's it's able to create better content. You know, I think yeah, that's sure. the, the big thing. Better movies and a, a better rollout of them, especially when it comes to how uh, Peacock's got it down pat. A movie will come out in theaters, give it to three months, and now I think it's um, uh, my big fat Greek wedding just got added, right? <laughs> and right. they've kind of just been funneling this idea of like you will have a home for our theatrical movies uh, in the comfort of your own home when they come out to streaming. And I think that's what uh, Hulu should be really banking on in Disney Plus. Yeah. And I think it's also hopefully, at least for the for our sake, they keep them separate because it means it's more places for films and TV shows to potentially land. Right. Like if they're if Hulu and Disney Plus are both bidding over a movie, then uh, movies will there'll be more movies to go around. You know, we're we're seeing they're still the same umbrella. I mean, if you suppose you think that the companies would be smarter enough, smarter to not do that. But if you listen to some of these executives, they end up bidding against different departments all the time. Yeah, they're idiots. So yeah. We'll see. We'll see where they take it from there. Yeah. All right. So should we get to our patron shout out? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. All right. Uh, before we get to our picks for the week, let's give a big thanks to the Intercuity Plus patrons those wonderful people who support the show thanks again for uh 
all the support and a reminder that you too can become a member over at patreon.com slash intercut pod where you can sign up for uh updates on the podcast and if you pay at least one dollar a month you'll get early access to some intercut episodes including uh the reviews that we're filming today like Saltburn and the holdovers you'll get access to the private channels on the intercut discord where you can chat with us throughout the week and you can also join our monthly google meetings with our patrons which we'll be doing uh, shortly after the live stream today. So not too late to head over to patreon.com slash intercut pod, donate $1 a month and come chat with us about movies. Let us know what movies you're looking forward to, what you hope wins an Oscar, what you've seen lately that you liked uh, the people who are in our Academy tier and wonderfully supporting the show are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Tyler, and Benji. And the producer level patrons are Yudin Veer and tune thank you so much to all of you for your continued support of the show art what are we going to talk about with the patrons on the google meeting today i saw a lot of people watching priscilla i saw a lot of people yeah. liking some of coppola's films we were going back Ooh. and seeing some of coppola's films i think it'd be a good discussion yeah we we could put together a super quick coppola bracket has she done eight mm-hmm. i think she's close to eight movies. i think she's close to eight i think we we're saying if we count that murray special that christmas special there we, we go might actually have something there uh, but that'd be, yeah, that we could do a little bracket for that. But it's also, I mean, we're, we're down to the last two months of uh, uh, best of the year. I think this would, this is the watch list season because then by next month telling people, Hey, get this on your watch list. Here's a list of 50 for 30 days in the holidays. Not going to be possible. So I think this is really the time to be uh, asking everyone. What are the things that haven't been on people's radar uh, and probably giving ourselves a, uh, a 10 piece of uh, movies or TV show to catch before the end of the year. Cause then by next month, I think we will be doing probably like an intercuity uh, com- compilation of everyone's top picks um, as we lead into the new year. Definitely. All right. So uh, we, should we get into our picks for the week where we recommend about 10 movies for the people to see at home mm-hmm. in theaters and everywhere, especially some double ups because we're getting into that point, into that point where we've got some really good movies coming up. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the Marvels, Zach. <laughs> the Marvels is coming out this week with all of the Marvel news uh, on the horizon on whether they're not going to be here, whether they will. The Marvels is supposed to be the continuation that's bringing in two TV series characters. One who is supposed to be one of the best, uh, most powerful superheroes in the MCU and combining them in, the, in a comedy. I, I guess it looks like where they, they kind of got like a, a, a flu where every time they kind of like sneeze their powers into play, they keep bouncing off of each <laughs> other. Uh, the Marvels directed by Nia DaCosta is slated to be probably the biggest release they have this year other than Ant-Man Quantumania. We used to get so many Marvel movies a year and I feel like no one's going to remember the ones that were released in 2023, but that is coming out alongside share which i don't know too much about and was really hard to find because it's share question mark <laughs> question marks don't really do well in the google search terms uh i saw you added this do you, do you know anything about this i'm mildly curious about it for a couple of reasons one it's got a couple actors that we like in it including melvin Gregg uh and oh. bradley whitford uh but two It becomes with a uh, recommendation from Steven Soderbergh, who called it innovative as fuck, I believe, uh, because the entire film is shot from one still perspective. It's it's sort of an inverse of the uh, like bottle film. It's not a bottle film, but everybody has the same exact uh, camera 
angle. It, it kind of looks like one of those uh, COVID Zoom movies, except that it's not not a Zoom movie. It's a bunch of people locked in a room. Uh, oh. But but I mean, it, it sounds formally experimental. Um, I'm uh, curious. Maybe so I'll, it might maybe be I'll... a Cloverfield movie. Okay. I'll be looking forward to that be. one. So that <laughs> share and the Marvels coming out. So uh, with that, I'm going to take the Marvels release and recommend some of Nia DaCosta's movies. Uh, yeah. One of the big ones especially would be Little Woods, considering that that's really going to showcase the work that she does with actors. And I think that that's a really good thriller um, that, that shows you how she's able to get really good dramatic performances from people. But I would also uh, shout out Candyman. I know this was a movie that a lot of people were disappointed with, but I think with all the news that's come out, about Nia DaCosta and her work at Marvel, my even viewpoint of specific scenes in that movie, that star, a Marvel character or a Marvel actress in that movie, almost being a surrogate for Nia DaCosta, I think hits even harder now. So uh, as you go see the Marvels and people complain about it being another trash Marvel movie, as a Kevin Feige product, a Nia DaCosta product would be these films that you see right here. So give them a watch if you're interested. Uh, the better superhero release that just wrapped up this week would be Gen V. I'm working on a whole LME for this because I did not expect a superhero property that's a spin-off that's on streaming service that you're gonna have to watch to really keep up with the real main timeline would be this freaking good zach i don't know if you've caught up with this one yet but Not i yet. think you like the boys yeah i, I think right lived up yeah i like the boys subverting a lot of the superhero cliches and you know being a really good satire of the culture Gen V continues that in school. Uh, it is about the college where a lot of these Gen V people, um, specifically babies who grew up with that serum in them, are now going to this academy that is always either going to make them superheroes or they're going to be like uh, the, the front lines of just regular working Americans uh, that, that uh, have superpowers. And I think it builds up to be a really interesting way to cross over with the main timeline, but also answers a lot of questions in a very interesting way through these characters that helps build up the main timeline. And I think it does it in the way that Disney Plus and their whole shenanigans uh, were supposed to uh, kind of connect. I think it's superior in that sense. So shout out Gen V. It just wrapped. Very good finale. Try to not get it spoiled if you can. Over on Prime. Yeah, the, the rumor is that the Gen V finale takes place like two, three days or something like that uh, before oh, yeah. the events of the next season of The Boys. You feel that that crossover oh easily it's uh it, it it does it seamlessly uh the next one that i would have is the mystery pick regal had a lot of these movies Ooh. that they were releasing on mondays and where you would have to show up and they wouldn't tell you uh what it was until you were there and amc is like yeah i'm gonna copy that they have what is called amc screen unseen it is like uh, what just the rating the runtime you have to sit there and then you have to figure out what it's going to be now I live an hour behind New York, so I get to see what the whole East Coast is watching and then decide if I want to go or not. That's how I've always done the real ones. That's how I'm assuming I'm going to do the AMC ones. But you were telling me that you were doing some calculations here, and you think it might be I was, one of two movies. I was trying to come to a conclusion through science, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I've settled on a proper uh, result. I, I might, My logic might be flawed. My experiment might need a... a more controlling factors so on the amc website it says that this movie that they're showing today is pg-13 and the runtime is an hour and 49 minutes so looking just at a couple upcoming films that are pg-13 
there is the new Taika Waititi movie, Next Goal Wins, which is close at an hour 43. So maybe there's like a like a special five minutes behind the scenes tacked on or something like that. I could see that being the uh, look ahead movie. There's also World in which they're showing the, the Marvels, which is another PG-13 movie. An hour 45 minutes, a little closer yeah. to that hour 49 minute runtime. Although, would Marvel be the kind of company to do these kind of screen? I mean, you, you're more familiar with. So you broke up a little bit for me there. I don't know if you could hear me, but uh, I don't think it'd be the Disney movie. That would be the coolest bet. Don't get me wrong. Maybe it's Terrifier 3. I went to go <laughs> to the theater to go see uh, Radical, and they were giving out these Terrifier 3 posters. Uh, maybe it's a PG-13 version of this, because turns out they filmed that movie. They had it ready. Um, but if it's PG-13, I'm going to go next go wins. Yeah, that feels, like, that feels like a Regal movie, AMC surprise movie kind of movie, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, other than that, other uh, my fourth pick for this week would be Going to Mars and Nikki Giovanni story. Last week, we uh, went through a bunch of different documentaries uh, that I would recommend for the end of the year. And I think that this was one that should definitely be high up on your radar. It got a lot of praise out of Sundance, a lot of praise from us here on the Intercut Podcast. Um, and it's a story going through a poet who kind of builds this whole world, not just from her own backstory, but what she wants the future to be. Uh, very poetic movie to say the least uh and it is out unlimited coming up now and then the one that yeah. i think we're gonna have a double up on is the holdovers the newest movie that we covered earlier on right after this we're gonna be doing a spoiler discussion if you've caught it from alexander payne uh zach loved it out of tiff i think it was for sure your number one movie out of toronto i i still uh, I think it's american fiction week. origin th those three are hard oh yeah to you had your trio. you had your trio yeah yeah, yeah. but take it away because i know this was also your pick of the week Oh, yeah. I mean, I, The Holdovers. Look, it's, an, it's a new Alexander Payne movie, as we were talking about earlier. He doesn't do them so, so often. So it is nice to uh, get a new one of these, especially one with such great performances from such great actors like Giamatti and, uh, and Randolph. You know, uh, there are so many just like wonderful quotes in this film, too. Like the because Giamatti is playing this professor, he's like very verbose and he has all these like very... Uh, very intellectual put downs that I think are so charming in the film, but there's just something very, very winning about it. I'm excited to talk to you about it a little bit more uh, in our discussion after this. Beautiful. Uh, elsewhere on my picks for the week, uh, what did I put here? I've got The Killer because it is playing in theaters right now, but uh, it is available on Netflix starting this Friday. So if you haven't had a chance to catch the latest from David Fincher, it will be available globally not too long from now. I think Art and I were both fans of it. We uh, have another uh, review of that one coming out this week as well. So stay tuned to the channel. And it's just a, a really sleek, effective uh, hitman thriller from the man who is perhaps best suited to make a cold, cynical movie like that one. So, uh, yes, yeah. Sir big fan of the killer my third oh, wow. pick though is a movie that i think is only available in limited release although maybe this is a good uh notice to get it on your radar uh for the upcoming weeks as it starts to expand dream scenario which we both caught out of toronto the, uh, at the toronto international film festival the latest film from director christopher borgley starring nicholas cage as a man who becomes an overnight celebrity after showing up in people's dreams. Uh, it's got a really kind of Charlie Kaufman-esque feel, but feels also 
like a response to viral fame. Uh, it's very modern in some ways, but it's also just so imaginative and funny. Um, there's a lot to really like about it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of the movies that surprised me the most uh, during our Toronto experience. Super funny. Yeah. Uh, then I'll give a quick shout out again to Invincible Season 2 Part 1, since that is available now. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, it's got more of the same kind of brutality and, and surprise that uh, the first season had. I, I still in, am enjoying it. So uh, even though I, I'm curious where it's going to end up, I'm recommending where it is right now. And then my last pick for the picks for the week is a quick shout out for Doc NYC, one of the best documentary film festivals in the world, because uh, they've got a bunch of selections in person. They've got films like Stamped from the Beginning, uh, Anselm, which I think you saw in Chicago, American Symphony, which a lot of people are talking about as a potential Oscar frontrunner, The Contestant, which I was very curious about. Uh, Jeff saw that one in Toronto. But another thing that's cool about Doc NYC is there's not just the in-person screenings. They're one of the remaining festivals that's still doing virtual selections okay. as well. So if you are looking for a chance to catch up with 20 Days in Mariupol, perhaps my favorite documentary of the year, uh, the Sundance Award winner, which is surely going to be in the Oscars discussion, that is available virtually through them. The Disappearance of Sheer Height, which we talked about at Sundance, is available through them. While We Watched, which I thought was a really interesting documentary, uh, sounding documentary out of Toronto that I missed, unfortunately, I'll be catching up with virtually, as well as uh, Smoke Sauna, His Sisterhood, one of the really under-loved movies from Sundance this year. And two of those, if I'm not mistaken, are selections. I know this is the selection for its country, as yeah. well as uh, 20 Days in Mariupol. I think this is... For uh, Ukraine, yeah. Estonia, yeah, and this is the Estonian selection, so... Yes. Uh, that's good. I'm glad. Definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah. going back through our picks for the week, the 10-ish movies you should see this weekend. Uh, uh, we'll double it up right there, because I'm going to give you Little Woods and Candyman from Nia Costa After you watch the nice. Marvels, if it don't live up to the hype... At least you got you got some good movies to watch from her at home while everyone's got her in the news circuits. Gen V over on Amazon Prime is one of the better uh, superhero stuff that has now wrapped its first season. They said they greenlit the second season already, and it is perfect to watch, especially if you're a big fan of the boys, especially because they're combining both storylines beautifully. AMC Unseen, which at this point in time, I think I'm going to be with you. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Next Go Wins as the uh, big one. Um that it might be, but I think that this is going to be a very interesting way to be able to hype up a lot of people because the problem with Regal was that people just stopped showing up because they knew there was bound to be a bunch of bunk movies. So AMC, <laughs> do not ruin it with your screen uns uh, unseen. Uh, my next one is Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni story, one of the best documentaries of the year. So as you're compiling your list, keep an eye out for this one. And then the one we're doubling up, which is The Holdovers, which yeah. gets two thumbs up from us and a special bonus video right after this live stream. Definitely. So aside from the holdovers on my list, I've got The Killer, the new movie from David Fincher, a cold hitman thriller with Michael Fassbender. Dream oh Scenario, a very zany, imaginative comedy about a man who starts showing up in people's dreams. And that man is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Uh, Invincible Season 2. It's back on Amazon and just as brutal as it's always been. And then, of course, a quick recommendation to the Doc NYC Festival, whether you're attending in person for the documentary selection or 
watching some movies virtually through their virtual selections. A lot of good stuff. Uh, but that's it for this week in movies for the weekend must watch. Uh, you can find more from me over at LME Movies on all social medias. Over at Let Me Explain, where we've been working on some recaps. We've been working on some uh, explainers and breakdowns for some of the biggest movies out there. And we got a lot in store, uh, especially with the Thanksgiving season. Uh, but Zach, where can people find more from you? You can find more from me at Zshevich across social media. Or you can find my videos at Multiplex Show on TikTok or Instagram or uh, even here on YouTube where I uploaded a 20 minute video about bottoms. So if you like me think that's one of the funniest movies of the year, maybe you want to hear more about that. But you can also hear more from both of us right here on Intercut. A reminder that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. You can catch the live video here on YouTube.com where we go through all of the latest releases, movie news, all that good stuff that you need here on the Weekend Must Watch. Big shout out to all the intercuties who listen live, all the patrons who we're going to be talking to right after we do our holdovers, uh, spoiler discussion chat, um, and a big thanks to all the iTunes listeners who give us that five star review you help us with uh, the ability help us with the ability to go to festivals to get some screeners so we really appreciate you all for supporting the podcast over there don't forget to leave us a comment drop a like follow the socials over on intercut pod and until next time make sure you hit that bell well, that's a detention <laughs>